Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, covering the industry as no one else does. This week, an emphasis, by the way, on commercial real estate, the pandemic comeback, and all aspects of sports facilities. Nobody better than Avison Young to talk about it. But first, the deal-making issues of the week. Three. Deal-making issue number three involves 18 former NBA players arrested and federally charged for insurance fraud. Glenn Davis, Tony Allen, Terrence Williams. Most notable, they defrauded the NBA's health and welfare benefit plan. Upwards of $4 million. The defendant's playbook involved fraud and deception, says Audrey Strauss, the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Scheme uncovered in part because of the sloppy work of the defendants, authorities said. Deal-making issue number three. Two. Players TV announced a whole slew of deals. Rakuten YouTube, for example. The athletes-focused media network has added streaming services Rakuten, YouTube, Philo, and Local Now as their new distribution partners. These new platforms reach a combined 285 million households for Player TV, whose investors include Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, C.J. McCollum, and MLB Hall of Famer Ken Griffey Jr. Players TV shares behind-the-scenes access to the lives of pro athletes, such as a recent documentary on Damian Lillard, who's an investor in the company. With the addition of these new distribution partners, Player TV unparalleled athlete-led content will now be available to a wider and more international audience, they say. One. Now number one. Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher-slash-former pitcher Trevor Bauer seeking attorney's fees from his accuser, as well as the phone records from the police. Notice stems from a hearing in August when a judge denied a request by the woman for a five-year restraining order against the L.A. Dodgers pitcher. His attorneys state in the new court filing, the woman took a proceeding designed to prevent future acts of domestic violence and turned it into a tool to gain publicity and harm Bauer's career. Situation will be one to closely monitor over the coming weeks. He won't pitch in this playoffs, but what about next year? Sports, pandemic, the comeback. Certainly the pandemic crushed the sports industry, but has come back. Not as much as before, but certainly in a track that will rival some of the other industry comebacks. It's important to compare it, and we have somebody with us who has unparalleled history and perspective to do that. Harry Claff, the president of clients for Avison Young, it's a 5,000 real estate professional entity spanning 16 countries, 100 offices, and 400 million square feet under property management. Harry certainly working with a company, one of the biggest in the world, to talk about this. He's also had some perspective in his former life to talk about sports, facility development, and the comeback. Harry Claff gives us some valuable perspective as we enter into the next year or two. Here's Harry Claff. Public-private partnerships, infrastructure development, post-pandemic economic recovery. We talk about it in the context of stadiums and facilities and bringing people back and infrastructure. We had a lot of discussion about that, but now we have 
access to somebody who's one of the best in the business, experience in putting all of these kinds of things together, Harry Claff, the president of clients at Avison Young. Harry, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Rick? I'm wonderful. Thanks very much. You know, we talk about some of the broad perspective on all of those topics, and you have some really significant experience in all of this. Talk about it a little bit. So getting um, getting people places uh, to work and to, um, to, to have recreation is obviously a critical part of our industry. Uh, we are um, involved in commercial real estate um, in many different asset classes across the globe. And, uh, and that's places for people to work. It's for warehousing and distribution. It's for data centers. It's for multifamily housing and a wide variety of things. And obviously, all these uh, kind of come together to create census of place, which is really important for recreation and sports. Census of place, recreation, sports basically came to a halt in March of 2020. And now we're getting some senses of place and sports coming back. You've had worldwide experience in all of those things you just described. I know we couldn't predict where the pandemic was and how uh, it's really hurt us, but are are we seeing kind of a light at the end of the tunnel? Can you talk now about coming back in broad strokes? Well, we are starting to see some signs of it. Obviously, it all depends on the variant uh, and and what happens there, but uh, certainly uh, in the United States and Canada and the UK and across Europe, people are starting to come back to the office and people are starting to come back to restaurants and uh, but obviously, uh, we've got um, some challenges ahead of us. I do think that we're going to be living with some version of this for a while. And um, we might have some, um, some interruptions. I hope not. Uh, but um, it is good to see people in person. It's good to see people enjoying themselves again. And it's good to see people back in the office as well. Well, the, the, the overriding or overwhelming uh, mandate of, of, of Avis and Young and otherwise today is to uh, focus on uh, getting people back to work to uh, focus on, on how to make money from the commercial perspective. Uh, I'm sure you've studied pretty significantly the trends of staying home, uh, coming back to work, what the mix is with big law firms and accounting firms, and also large venues and sports facilities. So what what are some of the overall trends these days, today, about how quickly people are coming back to work and play, really? Well, with regard to coming back to the office, it's, um, it's really still unknown. Uh, there are, there's a desire for many industry lines, many, many businesses to come back. It's, it's important to be together to create culture and also to make sure you're, you're um, creating some type of product, um, having mind share. Uh, R&D really depends on, on having people together. But um, many industries have also determined that they can be very effective at, uh, at working remotely. So there is a process right now that, um, that, a lo- that industry in general is going through to determine what they're going to do in coming back to the office and how they're going to work together and how they're going to incorporate remote working as well. So I think re- even for the largest companies, it's, uh, it's still to be determined. Yeah, and it's interesting because people who are not working in the largest companies probably have very little idea and appreciation of the scope of the considerations and the business plans involved in putting this all together. You don't just say the office looks clean, let's come back. Uh, was there a, a real focus on getting back to work, let's say September 1 and now with the Delta variant, we're, we're on hold a little bit? The, the, the planning is something people don't have control of as they might have otherwise. Well, they, they, 
That's true, and there are a lot of reasons for that. One is, is obviously uh, for cities, for instance, and um, uh, folks who are commuting to, to work. Do you feel safe about that? A lot of, a lot of it has to do with vaccination rates and, and how companies are dealing with, uh, with those who are not vaccinated and uh, what's their policy going to be. Uh, others still are looking at uh, just being efficient and how uh, they can continue to maintain efficiency, but also at the same time build culture. We're, this is very much a work in progress. This is something that's truly unprecedented in our times. And um, I think we're going to see this unfold with, with policies, especially from leading organizations uh, over the course of the next, uh, call it four to six months as to how they're going to come back. But I think generally speaking, people want to uh, create a sense of place for themselves. It's the way they create identity for their organizations. The tie with sports, entertainment, and spectator organizations is obvious when you hear the answer to your questions, that it's basically the same considerations. You've got to find a safe workplace and environment. You've got to figure out what the vaccination issues are. There are mask policies all over the country that are mandated by different politics, by different health and local officials. So all of the issues that you deal with that are, are consulting-oriented to large commercial organizations and otherwise, they, they, they're the same kind of impact with spectator facilities, broadly defined, don't they? They absolutely do, and it's interesting. I, I would say everywhere I've gone and every, from everybody that I speak to in my, in my organization and others, uh, people are really um, interested in getting back to life as they knew it before the pandemic. And, um, and, and folks are interested in, in going back to sporting events, going back to shopping malls, going back to restaurants. But the, but the key component is, is it safe? And um, until there's a, um, a, a view that, um, that it, is, it is safe to be able to do this, I think there's always going to be this, this cloud associated with coming back to these, to these venues. And um, I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later because obviously it's something that's important to me um, and it's important to our business. Uh, but uh, we are um, very much in, in, in uncertain times, which I hope, uh, and I think you do as well, that, um, that there's going to be a sense of uh, security, safety, and, and health um, as, um, as, as there is. Uh, you're going to start to see um, greater attendance um, and um, a great deal of great more uh, interest in, in making sure that, um, that our cities are popular, that our restaurants are full, and so are our stadiums. Well, process-wise, too, I mean, you have an interesting perspective on this as well as something, somebody who's not, that's a sports fan and has a sports part of the practice, but it's not driven by it. The architects we know are designing safe uh, places for law firms, for accounting firms, for tenants, but they're also designing safe places to have spectators go. If they can't, a year ago, the biggest issue was we're not going to a stadium until we feel safe, whether a vaccine or not. We also have teams that are highly hiring medical directors, which is, I assume, what corporations are doing well. How do you see the sea change process-wise to make the environment safer? I think there are a couple things. One of those is policies, um, both uh, sports teams and leagues uh, and, um, and cities and, and businesses are going to have policies associated with how, um, how they return to their venues. The second is going to be design. Uh, I think we'll see a, a change in design in, in making sure that um, there might be more distancing, there's, um, there's um, just safer passage into buildings, and, and what those buildings might include, obviously, uh, stadiums and arenas. Uh, until we feel that, um, that we can go back to where we were, if we ever feel that way again. Uh, I believe that, um, that there's, there's a strong desire 
to do both. It's about um, it's about uh, having people be able to have recreation uh, and access to their office buildings, um, so that they are they can feel more complete about their their lives, and uh, but also at the same time making sure that um, that there's always at least um, a view towards making those areas as safe as possible. A few more comments about this, and then we're going to talk about development for just a couple minutes. The concept of whether or not we'll ever get back to where we were before, a little daunting, but you said it. And so the whole perspective of where do you think, do you think there will be things we, we will never go back to, uh, you know, how close people are together or, or you know, large alcohol tailgate things, and I'm talking about office as well as sports. Hard to speculate, but what's your thought? Well, I really can't predict that. I think that a lot of that has to do with um, just public sentiment. It also has to do with, um, you know, it's un- what's unpredictable is what the future of, um, of, of, of health is. Uh, but in the office world, which I, which I have, and we have a lot more knowledge about, I will tell you that um, I do believe that, um, that there's going to be a need for for office space, a strong desire for organizations to be able to build that unity associated with office space. But there's also going to be um, um, an understanding that not everyone wants to be in the office all the time, and there's going to have to be some level of flexibility in how companies manage uh, their workforce and, and their, um, their office policies. With regard to others, um, other you know, real estate assets, for instance, um, you know, we think that the pandemic has actually created um, um, new asset classes, or at least maybe uh, turbocharged some existing ones, like for instance, distribution facilities and warehouse facilities. You know, you know, you know, the ordering of um, of things to your home, either through Amazon or Grubhub or whatever it might be, is basically identified a need for uh, local last mile distribution centers. Uh, the use of data has increased the need for data centers. So uh, real estate as a total industry and as a, uh, the, is really going to be dependent in the future about asset classes more than anything else. Um, and that's how uh, I think you're going to see the industry break down. Well, obviously, there are going to be so many, many changes, and you're going to be on the forefront of it. One more kind of major issue I want to talk about. Uh, we mastered the art of public-private partnership facilities years ago. We had $25 billion of stadium and arena um, public money spent as a catalyst to generate private money, even before the pandemic. And we've known, for example, that Yankee Stadium was built 100 years ago, almost in response to getting out of the Spanish flu pandemic and public money was spent. So there is a, some precedent for that. Um, what is your general thought about public projects, infrastructure development, and the desire to emphasize some of that in the context of post-pandemic economic recovery? Well, that's a great question. I really believe that um, that for the future of cities especially, there's going to have to be a significant investment in infrastructure. Uh, where the pandemic has had a profound impact, in, especially in the United States, is in some of the larger urban areas. And that's been uh, a function of a wide variety of things. Restaurants have closed, and, and they're not coming back, potentially. Or um, there has uh, been an exodus um, because of people have not felt comfortable being in, in a city environment. Uh, office buildings have, have gone vacant. Um, I really believe that uh, we're going to have to rethink our cities, uh, transportation, uh, access, use of the cities, and also making sure that investments continually made uh, to um, to reinvest in America's great cities. And uh, I believe that'll happen uh, as part of this infrastructure plan. 
Well, and so what you're really saying is that any catalyst for urban development infrastructure that's part of a reasonably thought out master plan, the new arena that's opening in in Seattle, the downtown development projects that have been done in in Pittsburgh and Cincinnati, and a lot of those processes are maybe needed now more than ever. I think so. I I think that um, it's interesting. At the beginning of the pandemic, I think a lot of um, a lot of people, especially um, pundits regarding um, real estate, thought that uh, that cities might might be uh, really in trouble for a long time. I really believe that um, I believe in cities. I believe that there is a desire to be there, both by organizations and um, and and individuals who want to live in an urban environment. Um, I still believe in the American city. And uh, I believe that uh, what will end up happening is that uh, there'll be a resurgence. As people feel more comfortable about being there, as companies start to uh, populate their offices again, um, cities will follow suit. What really has to happen, though, is we have to, the investment needs to be made in the small businesses. And those small businesses are, generally speaking, especially for cities, um, you know, entrepreneurs who have restaurants and cafes or coffee shops or cleaners or whatever it might be, that's where the investment needs to be made. We have to basically make sure that small business is thriving. Uh, and in doing so, I think what will end up happening is that cities will thrive. So I'm going to ask a question you can't answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So uh, look at your crystal ball and project ahead 10 years from now and talk about the future of public-private partnership generally, but development and the role of sports entertainment facilities and sports entertainment in that perspective, in that development. Well, I think that the success of any area, whether it's a city environment or a suburban environment, is uh, is really a function of how well the um, the jurisdiction works with a private enterprise. I really believe that the most successful areas um, in the world are um, are the byproduct of that relationship. Um, co investment is really essential. So I can't predict what it's going to look like, but I can say that for the most successful areas um, in the U.S. and elsewhere, uh, there's going to have to be a close relationship between the public sector and the private sector to make that happen. And I think you're finding that already, even now, as we're coming out of the pandemic, you're starting to see those those locations that are starting to invest in their infrastructure, um, in creating um, senses of place, uh, in making sure that... Um, that their residents and the people that work there feel feel safe and can get there easily um, are going to be the most successful. Harry Claff gives us some valuable perspective, as his company, Avison Young, does as they take a look at deals across the pond in the U.S., international, and everywhere in between. Let's look at the Tech Minute for the week. One team partners sees their valuation skyrocket, now worth over $2 billion. It's an athlete licensing firm founded three years ago by the MLB and NFL Players Associations, now valued as more than $2 billion, according to the Wall Street Journal. Back in 2019, one team valued at about $311 million. Since then, driven a reported billion-dollar increase in guaranteed revenue for the NFLPA through negotiated deals with trading cards and gaming. A 20-year, $460 million deal with the union signed with Fanatics the NFL, MLB, and NB Players Association all have equity in Fanatics' new trading card venture, in addition to MLB and NBA proper. They recently raised money at a $10.4 billion valuation, and one team already secured numerous major deals, such as NFLPA and WNBAPA collective deals with Dapper Labs for collectibles, college licensing deal with Panini, 
and an MLSPA deal with fantasy soccer NFT platform Sorari. Clearly moving in the right direction. And that's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, good sports perspective, which we always do. And a lot of issues this week that have much to do with the pandemic, but also much to do with the comeback. For example, Mark Cuban believes that the Mavs will make thousands of dollars per game on Dogecoin. Other teams to accept crypto include Sacramento Kings, San Jose Sharks, and Oakland A's. Tyson Fury knocks out Deontay Wilder in a thrilling end to their trilogy with Fury's deal and Joshua's loss to Alexander Usyk. The immediate rematch clause activated. Fury's next opponent still up in the air. Bottom line is more money raised for anybody and anybody could imagine. Pete Rose launched his own sports betting podcast, ironic, nearly the one-year anniversary and thrilled to expand into the sports space, voracious appetite for sports betting content, and who may be more ironically and appropriate to lead that than Pete Rose. And then when you think about some of the other good sports issues, Pal Gasol officially announcing his retirement from the game last week, one of the best bigs to ever play in the league, said his brother Mark, but he's also very philanthropic at home, and we'll continue to see that over time. Well, that's our show for the week. We'd like to thank Harry Claff and Avison Young for giving us an incredibly unique perspective as we look at all aspects of the sports business. We'd like to thank you all for listening and watching. And join us next week when, once again, we look inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. I'm the sports professor, Rick Harrow. See you next time.